0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of a new series called Media Will Eat Itself, a podcast that showcases the people behind modern content creation, exploring the fuzzy boundaries between shifting skills and traditional expectations. Each week, we'll talk about loads of media topics with a special guest. Topics will include videography, podcasting, editing, copywriting, design, photography, branding and so much more. It's a media show about media people. And I'm your host, Sean Weston. I've known Rachel Morrissey for about three years, though we've never actually met, nor have we spoken on the phone, which is very typical of modern communications. But I'm so pleased that we've finally managed to get together over Skype to chat about something we both have in common, and that's podcast production. She's an experienced podcast producer over in the US of A, and I'm delighted to be able to share with you a conversation we had about putting podcasts together. I know a thing or two about it myself... But just listening to me drone on about it for half an hour is enough to drive anyone crazy, so Rachel will share her knowledge instead. It's a show full of useful tips and tricks and great insight into how podcasts are put together. Without further ado, on Skype from New York to Sunnybath, enjoy the show.
1: Hi, I'm Rachel Morrissey. I am a professional podcaster. I produce podcasts for myself and for other people, usually involving technology.
0: And what a nice thing to be able to talk to a fellow professional podcaster.
1: It is nice.
0: It's lovely, isn't it? Because we're we're usually interviewing, you know, other people in in different walks of life. And it's very rare that you get to talk to someone who knows your industry and and has the similar skill set. Exactly. How did you get into it, Rachel? How did you get into podcasts?
1: So uh, about... Let's see, in a former life, it feels like a former life, I was a <laughs> lobbyist in Washington, D.C. for the sugar industry. And then after about 10 years of that, I decided I was going to go back to school in media studies. Uh, and partially because I wanted to understand the political situation that I felt like was happening with the media. Boy, did that turn out differently than <laughs> even I anticipated. But. Yeah, um, but- But I I went to school in media studies and you had to do a practicum. And I've always, always, always loved uh, radio stories. So I did a radio practicum and I started recording and I started doing podcasting and then I thought, uh, I got a job with um, and created Breaking Banks when I was still in graduate school. So Breaking Banks was my first big podcast that I created.
0: Well, oh, fantastic! So, so you were learning your skills, sort of uh, at at school, basically in in terms of sound. Um, yeah, understanding I got... what it. Yeah, understanding what clipping means and all that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I got a I got a background in uh, the sound engineering. Yeah. I got a background in the editing. I got some really good uh, shortcuts and editing advice. I learned how to use Pro Tools as well as a bunch of other editing softwares. Um, and and I really got a chance to, the best part was is that, I mean, it was only, I only had two classes in it, but the best part was I got to play um, show pieces, you know, things that I just created for fun to other people who were, as you said, you're talking to a fellow podcaster. I got to play fellow uh, for people who understood what I was doing, what the process yeah. was. And so they could give me really good feedback on what I was producing because they were like, oh, I see what you did there. Do you have this or do you have that? And I go, oh, yeah, I can see. Or you need to cut this part and maybe adjust the timing of this. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I get what you're saying. But because they understood the process and were going through it, too, the feedback on being able to share your work with people was invaluable.
0: Oh, it's it's what they say, isn't it? That, that if you're going to really learn something, you should collaborate. Do it with other people who are doing the same thing as you. It helps so much, doesn't it? And then you learn from one another.
1: It is. Uh, you get to, well, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but you get to learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> um. And you also get to be inspired by what other people are doing. Yes. So it's just really exciting that way. Uh, also, I mean, my background before that was in theater. So I was very used to a process where you worked with other people and everybody had roles to play and everybody had things to contribute and everything was important and you could, uh, you know, throw it back and forth with them. So that collaborative process is, is highly creative in an atmosphere where everybody is hoping everybody else does well.
0: Yes, Cause, um, because you're all dependent on one another it's a team right, team thing exactly yeah, yeah.
1: uh i've had i've read a lot of articles lately on uh people who hate doing collaborative things because it's just the one person who ends up doing everything and uh, and i think well this is really interesting to me because that's not my experience i think the collaboration especially collaboration done well with a good leader is invaluable yeah. uh i mean you you get to you get somebody else covering your weaknesses and you get to use your strengths. It's that's a really important process.
0: Here's a weird thing. Here's a weird coincidence. I did theatre studies at university. Oh you so did? Is, <laughs> yeah. Is this is this um <laughs> People, people listening to this now, students may be listening to this, they're in theatre and they're thinking, I'm going to be a podcaster in about five years' time.
1: They do think that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I would be surprised if there's a theatre student right now that doesn't have their own podcast.
0: <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Can I, can I just really divert off track a minute? Because one of the sure. earliest things you said there was that you were a lobbyist yeah. uh, in, in, in sugar. Yeah. So you must be really interested in what's going on with the sugar tax. Um, at the moment, yeah, so, I am yeah. sort of
1: fascinated to be seeing that. Um, I'm not really surprised, though, uh, nice. I, I have to say, I mean, that's been a long time coming. And it's, it's interesting to me because it's. Uh, I think it's just a pure protectionist um, knee jerk, which is what I did. I mean, yeah. I worked on a lot of uh, trade issues for sugar, more than mm. anything. Uh, and what, what what we would do is we would try to either, we, I mean, the US, the U.S. sugar program is set up to um, penalize the government for taking in too much sugar from non-domestic sugar growers. Yeah. So, you know, the, and the domestic sugar growers lobby for it and they get it because they are very good lobbyists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they have the very good connections. And it's a pretty powerful argument to say you need to maintain a domestic sugar industry because sugar is used in so many things. So it ends up being a pretty powerful argument. But I was, yeah, when I saw the sugar tax issues coming into Europe and into Mexico, I was like, of course, of course.
0: Well, I'm sorry to take you down that track again, because it sounds like you're still very passionate about it as well. But let's get back onto podcasts. Okay. Sure. So um, I'm I'm really interested in the difference between the perception of podcasting in America and the rest of the world, uh-huh. because my understanding of it, as a, as a neutral, as an outsider, is that uh, radio is still uh, the dominant force in America, and that live podcasting is, is quite common. Am I right? Have I picked up the wrong vibe?
1: No, you, you're not wrong. Well, it isn't isn't—it isn't even so much that live podcasting, I mean, live podcasting is going on, but um, a lot of podcasts aim to end up on a talk radio station. Mm. Uh, the reason for that is, I, I think that the reason for that is car culture in the United States. Okay. Um, see, I, I mean, I live in New York City and there are, Lots of people in New York City that don't drive. But if you look anywhere else in the United States, everybody drives, everywhere. And they're in their cars for hours a day. And what they do is they turn to talk radio. And that's where it's been for the last, you know, 100 years. (laughs) I mean, since there have been cars, you know, with Uh, the radio. Since there have
0: been cars and radios, Yes, yes, exactly.
1: And so I think... Uh, I mean, I think that's a big part of it is that the reason that the live podcast gets so much traction here is because of that uh, sense of what they're used to listening to um, Mm -hmm. because of car culture. Right. That's just a that's just a guess on my part. The other thing is I think that we um, we like live events. We like for a lot of podcasts in America, they'll do live shows or live recordings that's a really big thing here right um and that's what i picked
0: up on yeah
1: yeah and most of the successful ones want to invite an audience um at least some of the time not all of the time but some of the time and i think that's because um it's the same as people watching stand-up comedy in a way you know on netflix and i'm like you know that you're not there and yeah just, I know
0: what you mean it's it's, it's, yeah it's the same thing you know I, I love to I've got Bruce Springsteen DVDs but it's not even getting close to being there
1: yes exactly, you know, it's the same thing. exactly. Yeah. but I think that people get a sense of a place and time mm-hmm. um so I think that's part of it but I I can't help but think it's not because we've been listening to am radio in our cars people talking at us for so long that <laughs> yeah. that is just part of how we understand the art of sound
0: right well here's how i see it let me give you my perspective on the on the european side of things mm-hmm. is that our, our our approach to podcasting seems to be that it came from people wanting to create their own things and it wasn't anti-radio but it was a bit like the garage band for for talk Mm -hmm. for talkers, for conversation. So you would get people that would say, well, I'm starting my own podcast. Why should the big media places and why should the big radio stations have it all their own way? So I'm going to do my own. And it felt like podcasting really took off over here because of that. And what happened after that was that the likes of the BBC and The Guardian Mm -hmm. started to then take the snippets from their radio shows and uh, market them and package them as podcasts, so now we have this lovely mix of, of podcasts that are delivered by professional media houses, and uh, the likes of me and my next door neighbor, kind of thing. So it's it is a it's not really the same as what you were trying to describe there in in terms of that sort of live event, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah.
1: Well, the, the other thing is is that I mean there was definitely that sense by people. But, but like, OK, look at who who was successful with that. Basically, that garage band thing at first. Um, you have people like Roman Mars, who comes straight out of public oh, radio yeah. in the United yeah. States. Mm-hmm. Or you have Mark Maron, who was a radio host on Air America as a professional comedian. And yeah, he set up one in his garage. But and he has a wildly successful podcast. Was he, he the guy years.
0: who interviewed uh, the president? Is yeah. he the same guy? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Right.
1: And then, uh, and, then, and then you have a few guys that are real outliers like Lore, the guy who runs Lore, or the guys who do Night Vale, um, who are doing kind of spooky storytelling, um, and they're not doing interviews, and they're not doing – what they're doing is scripts. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and uh, they're writing it out very carefully beforehand, and they're the ones recording it, and it's their voices, and it's on their time. Yeah. And uh, and they're brilliant. I mean, I'm not, I am not disparaging that at all. I'm just saying uh, the ones who are super successful at that garage band are either already slightly famous,
0: professional, or yeah, yeah, professional I think,
1: entertainers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even if they weren't professional podcasters, they were professional entertainers, and yeah. or they are. Um, I, I mean, they are these outliers like the Night vale guys, or they're straight out of the public radio tradition and they've already been doing this stuff and creating radio stories for, you know, years.
0: So they're natural to it.
1: Right. And so they're going rogue basically, (laughs) you know, they're going independent and they're like, (laughs) I'm a, I'm a, I work with the Steven Spielberg of, uh, of filmmaking. You know, I work with the (laughs) Steven Spielberg of radio, but I'm tired of being in his shadow and I'm going to go, Uh, do an indie and be Steven Soderbergh. You know, it's not, it's not like they came from nowhere or no training. And in a way that isn't so bad because, I mean, I listen to a lot of, a lot of podcasters like uh, us that, you know, that come up and some of them are really great and some of them are really could use some yeah. help. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a level of training, you know, that yeah. or the background, like you say, they didn't really have that head start in understanding what the process is. Yeah, and and it comes across like that.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, I I don't mean just training in podcasting. It's like a training in entertainment. It's like yeah. you and I doing theater work beforehand and understanding some things just about presentation and yeah. arc. That, yeah. that other people haven't necessarily thought about.
0: Yeah. Well, while we're here then, let's talk about the specific skills um, to be a podcaster because it isn't just about understanding how to put the microphone on, is it? No. I mean, it's all, it's it's. I don't script. think that's it's... even
1: the hard part. That's the easiest no, part.
0: that's the easiest bit. Tell me more.
1: Well, uh, I think it's very important for you to understand the art of storytelling. Mm. And as you're shaping an interview, you have to really think about how you want uh, that interview to play out a little bit? It's you're not trying to pre-script the other person, but what you're trying to do is make sure that there that has a story arc that the audience can follow. Yeah. So yeah. that they are they maintain interest and they remember things and and uh, uh, that there's a natural flow. Those things are all learned. They're not you know just pop in with a microphone and automatically get those things.
0: No, and and would would I be right to think in saying that sometimes the storytelling can overcome uh, poor skills in other areas? So, you know, oh, yeah. microphone, if the story's good, uh, that little crackle you've got on your microphone doesn't really matter because the story's no. so powerful.
1: No, and, and actually I don't, I think uh, the technical, I mean, look, Nobody wants to listen to really bad audio for a really long time, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but if you get something that's just so compelling, the flaws in the audio will disappear for the listener Yeah, because they want uh, my. I have a big philosophy about audio in and of itself. I think there's a reason we talk so much about voice first and voice being the new, you know, UI and all of those things with Alexa and with Google and with with our computers. Yeah. Um, audio is is sitting around a campfire, listening to a story being told. Mm. You know, and and I, my voice actually creates physical waves and those waves are generated and they go into your ear and your ear interprets that sound. So audio does not happen unless there's actual physical connection. Like you you cannot, you literally don't have a noise if there's no receptor. It sounds ridiculous. There is, there's sound waves created, but with no receptor it doesn't make any difference. And so with audio it's physical. You're physically being uh you know, it's a physical touch, it's a physical uh experience. Yeah.
0: It's and, a feeling.
1: It's and, a feeling. And you feel it. Yeah. You feel it so deeply. And because you don't have visuals to distract you, when a good storyteller is only using audio, they're creating the visuals in your mind. And they're much, much more powerful because they're usually they're utilizing your your pictures, your yeah. sense of of how things should look.
0: Yeah, and it's why we love Morgan Freeman so much. Isn't it? Oh yeah, it's why we enjoy listening to Morgan. Freeman. He could read the telephone book for me. Oh yeah, long, you know, and he could almost turn it into a story arc.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there was a there was a famous Johnny Carson, where he had Richard Burton read the telephone book.
0: Oh yeah, Richard, Burton. and
1: it was gorgeous. You're just sitting there going, oh yes. Please yeah. read me the telephone book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that slight like Welsh lilt—it's it's lovely. Oh, what a great voice yeah, you have! Yeah. yeah, yeah. But and and so, what are you like then when it comes to um, putting that, uh, anticipating what the story is going to be ahead of time? So, what are you like when it comes to scripting? Are you an obsessive scripter, or do you <laughs> like a little bit of that spontaneity as well?
1: Uh, I prefer with a lot of people, a little bit of spontaneity. I find that if you over script people, they're not as honest. Yeah. Uh, So what I would do, I would do a lot of research on my guest. I would put forth a lot of prep questions for them Mm -hmm. uh, to get them in the mindset of what we were gonna be talking about. And then I would uh, craft questions to basically go over the story of what they're doing. Um, but I I found that if I over-scripted them or told them specific questions, they would script answers for themselves.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then it would sound like they're reading from a piece of paper or something. Well, right? they
1: are reading from a piece yeah.
0: of paper. And, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but yeah. You're right.
1: <laughs> and it's so flat and it sounds, yeah. I mean, the PR people loved it. They were so angry. They would get so mad because they wanted those scripted pieces written. Of course I mean, they, they did. wanted yeah. it. They it's so safe for them. And mm. PR people I am going to get in so much trouble for saying this, but <laughs> PR people are they're not interested in interesting. They're interested well, in um I mean, boring is safe. They like
0: boring. Let, let's just say they they've got their job to do.
1: They do yeah. have their job to do, yeah. and, and nobody likes a surprise mm. that's bad, in uh, PR especially. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but they will scr- – so boring works for them. Yeah. You know, oh, he said all of the right lines that we prepared. That's a success for them, but for the listener it's not because the listener knows it's been canned, and they aren't interested. They turn it off. Um, I just think the listeners just tune that stuff out immediately, yeah, almost I as fast so. as I do when I'm editing it and thinking, oh my God, this is as flat as it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah.
0: yeah. And, then, and then of course, there's all of those other things aside from scripting that you and I both know. So there is the, the editing part, there is the commissioning. It's actually organizing the interviews as oh a producer. Oh um, well, my
1: goodness it's huge. It's
0: huge. I, and it?
1: you would you would sit there and you would think you had an a, a an interview arranged. And then you would get a note back from usually someone in PR or somebody in the company hierarchy that needed to double check it and so you had to reissue everything you had just done with one person for the next yeah. level up and get it approved and get it renegotiated and then make sure they understand it and make sure everybody has everything right people think red that tape the, on red that
0: tape on red tape there's
1: always bureaucracy yeah and then on top of that there's always uh you know the misunderstanding or the uh, the guy who's like well i'm going to say whatever i want or And then calls you back and says, please edit that out. I will still get fired or I'll still be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I. (laughs) Well, I've
0: had to play. I've played hardball in the past as well because, you know, they've agreed to the interview. They've even signed a piece of paper that I wanted them to sign. So to come back three days later when the podcast has actually been published. Oh, yeah. And say, I can't say that anymore. And then you've got to kind of still be nice, but say, I'm sorry that's gone out.
1: Yeah. You're like, no well, coming
0: back on that. Yeah,
1: I've already published it. Yeah. And they're like, can't you take it back and edit it? And I'm like, no,
0: no, and <laughs> no, it, you think- I
1: can't. And, and also, I told you, you know, we told you that this was happening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it seems that I, I don't know, there's a perception of podcasts as being different, more malleable, perhaps and more I can take it back. But it's not. It's like a newspaper's been published. The book's been published. You've been on Johnny Carson live on Saturday night. You can't take it back.
1: Well, they think it's like a Facebook post,
0: and let's where be honest, we know that something.
1: can't really yeah. be taken back either.
0: No, <laughs> you can't even get rid of anything on Facebook. No, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So, so, I mean, so what, yeah. what about the what? Let's talk about that. What about the social media side of things as well? Because there's the after the podcast bit as well, isn't it? The, where an extra level of hard work has to begin. Well, I,
1: that is another thing that podcasters don't necessarily understand that they're getting into. If you are going to be an independent podcaster, you have to be the booker. You have to be the interview researcher. You have to be the person that does the interview. You have to be the marketing department afterwards. You have to be the graphics person. You have to be, uh, and in all of the fields that get split up for larger organizations, you have to do that. Yeah. and you have to you have to start really thinking about oh how best to promote this what what am I doing um, so just the fact that you have to be kind of a, a person of all trades a jack of all trades yeah. But it, it just sets you up to either go crazy you can go crazy <laughs> or, or you have to really know your stuff I mean you have to really put in the time and effort um, there's a podcaster actually out of England. Her name's Helen Salzman, mm-hmm. And she says, podcasting is a great job and a shit hobby. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: a great way of putting it. That's, I'm going to have to look it up. I loved it. Yeah.
1: I was like, that is too good, Helen. <laughs> yeah,
0: But you're dead right. You're dead right. I think a lot of people don't realize you know, how big a job it is. And I'll just put this out there that I think a lot of employers, people who employ podcast producers don't understand how big a job it is. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that's, perhaps uh, there's a learning curve there that, that people are overcoming now as it becomes more prevalent, videography as well, right? Um, yeah. Where we're possibly people that don't get paid very well to do an awful lot of work, and it's more work than you think for just one episode of something.
1: Well, they always try to talk you down, but that's, I think, the plague of being an artist in business. Um, oh, we're so
0: tortured. We're well, tortured I don't out. just mean tortured. <laughs>
1: I mean that the, the artistic side of things and the amount yeah. of time and work and skill and deafness it takes to be good at it yeah. is undervalued. Yeah. Like They're like, well, they're just drawing pictures or they're just doing, you know. And, <laughs> and then you're like, mm, can you do it? And do you have any idea how long it takes to do that? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So that's true of all of it. Uh, and I, I see that over and over again. Um, I, I see that, I mean, when I get offered jobs and, and I put together a, a proposal, right? An outline of what has to happen with a price. They're all astounded at what I'm going to charge. And I'm actually pretty reasonable. <laughs> like I'm not really charging the New York rate. I'm charging far less. Right. Um, and I,
0: I go, a well, here's a few them. people
1: yeah. that you can go talk to. And they start going around and they realize, oh, all of them are charging this. And it's because this is how much work it takes. And this is how many hours it takes. And this is the amount of organization it takes. And this is the yeah. amount of skills that you're asking me to employ. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a wide number of skills that you need
0: absolutely well and we've come to probably 25 minutes of this conversation already and I think we should actually I know it's just gone it's flown by and I think I should ask you now because you've imparted so much advice I think to people who are perhaps needing to know more about this or or wanting to know more because they want to do their own show Mm -hmm. but let's talk about you specifically now so what are you up to at the moment and uh, how can people contact you uh, find you and employ you
1: okay well my Twitter is at toughfunny one And that's because it was the name my mother called me. I had no idea that was going to become a professional moniker.
0: <laughs> I believe you can um, change it, but I, <laughs> I think I you might can. I have maybe. to,
1: actually, but <laughs> it that, still works, that right? That's what it became. It, I've had it forever, so I, <laughs> I just didn't realize. Um, and then my email address is D at gmail.com. Um, okay. So that's how you can reach me.
0: Uh, And I will put these links in in the description as well for for people to find you.
1: Great. Um, Right now, I am going to be working with Jennifer Sturdle. We're putting together a podcast for her called Castle in the Sandbox. And it's going to be all about the people who are inside of large organizations and innovating from within. People who are really changing the dynamic of that. I Um, like the sound of
0: that. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: think it'll be interesting and fun. And Jen has a real light spirit. She's really fun. Um, And then I am going to be starting my own show. I have actually two that are in the works with other people. One is uh, I'm looking for grant money to fulfill because it's going to require some travel. But Mm. it is all about uh, the people. I call it the helpers. It's all about people who are actually trying to make a difference in their local communities. Because... Let's face it, I mean, the United States has a serious political nightmare <laughs> going on. And, and yet people, people are reaching out and doing what they can where they are. And I think it's important to highlight that right now. Um, yeah. So that's on a totally different bent. And that's very storytelling oriented.
0: I'm very positive. It sounds positive. Yeah, well. yeah. I
1: want to put out something that is very positive. And then my other friend and I are doing one on uh, on politics, which may just drive me crazy.
0: Well, <laughs> but drawing on your background, so yeah. so that is good. Yeah, do what you know. They say. Yeah, yeah. So we're yeah. gonna
1: be lo- but we're gonna be looking very much at lobbying in Trump's world, like Trump's Washington, because they it's a it's a different animal than when I was there. Lobbyists used to write a lot of the legislation and they would they would be very responsible to do it and they're still doing that, but the access is completely different. And right. and the the ideologues have really are really running the the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a different animal.
0: So So what what are your time scales on, on these new podcasts? Well then when when can uh, we expect to hear them? We're
1: gonna hear you're gonna hear the castle in the sandbox coming in May. Yeah. and very
0: soon-huh
1: yeah. and the helpers should be coming out in the beginning of July
0: Brilliant. and the
1: political one my friend and I are are trying to figure out time schedules on still but it's in the works.
0: Great well thank you so much for joining me I could have I could have talked a, a, another couple of hours uh,
1: I know and, we and, could have just chatted forever.
0: I know so so thank you so much anyway and and, and for imparting your wisdom. To, to the masses let's hope some uh we get some brand new podcasts based uh, on this discussion that would be awesome
1: that would be i would love it i can't wait to hear back
0: that was rachel morrissey if you've had fun listening feel free to rate the show on itunes or leave comments in whatever podcast player you use i look forward to the next episode already